it is later than you think. Dimension X brings you stories of the supernatural and the supernormal, dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly, so if you wish to avoid the excitement and the tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you to calmly but sincerely turn off your radio now. Adventures in time and space told in future Hello, I'm your host, Artie. Artie, this is Spencer. Spencer, you are a big fan of this movie. Tell us a little about the backstory of this, please. I sure will, young man. <laughs> my friend. Tell us. My better half. All right, guys, close your eyes. Well, really, you don't have to close your eyes. It's a podcast you can't see. But just open your imaginations, please. And we are going to step back in time to a year that is near and dear to my heart, 1988. 88. The, the year that hardcore punk rock really blew up on the map. There you go. Side note, unrelated to this completely. <laughs> Other than the fact that Feldman looks like he would probably have a Gorilla Biscuits album. Yeah, he does. Yeah, dude, for sure. He does. Maybe I'm projecting onto him, but he does. In my mind, in my book, Feldman loves biscuits, man. Start today's all over that dude, you know? I'll back that. For sure. So, it's the year 1988, and there is a pretty serious writer strike in Hollywood from March 7th to August 7th, making it still the longest in history even to this very day. Wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Seriously, that's history that's, right there. It is. So the universal backlight, backlight. Damn it. God damn it. Whatever. Spencer got a new uh, blacklight poster. Yeah, I so I think it's, he's just excited to hang I it up. I really did get a new blacklight poster. It's pretty cool. It's um, by if, this guy, Marty. Um, damn it. I don't know his last name. By a guy named Marty. And it's amazing. And it's Friday the 13th, part three. If we have social media uh, stuff up for this, we will take a picture of it and tag the creator as a shout out yeah later on uh, we'll maybe copy and paste me saying his name correctly yeah, like we'll in a japanese like kung fu movie <laughs> marty mckinley <laughs> marty mckinley uh it's a beautiful blacklight poster but and that's what my my mind is on it, as we speak it's all good it's a it's amazing and it will look uh, awesome in i love friday the 13th part three and that's what it is of and i'm just gonna continue talking about it for a second my favorite part of it it does look sick but the jason's mom's head has the 3d uh glasses. glasses on yeah which is an amazing touch to that poster i just feel like anything's better with 3d glasses on oh yeah, yeah. anything anything yeah anything jason's mom's head <laughs> amazing better better <laughs> enhances it 7-eleven better. better you know <laughs> hanging out in your front yard better. better anything just name it it's better so bringing you back in though it's the universal studios back lot all right. The Backlot was a ghost town, and this is one of only two films being shot that year. And the other is Fletch 2, which I've never seen, and maybe a lot of other people have never seen either. So well, I don't think I've seen it. No, no. So The Burbs wins out of the two, but keep in mind, this is the only movie being filmed that year at Universal Studios. Now, so much so that uh, the main source of income for Universal Studios in 88 was the studio tour. 
where you go in the um, trolley, yes, which you and I have done. Yes, not to brag, a lot of fun. It recommend is recommend it if you're there in the park. Just do it, guys. It's a good time. Grab a giant Simpsons donut, yeah, and then get uh, hopped up on sugar, and then go behind the scenes. Yeah, sneak around a little bit. Yeah, you know, and uh, so. So this was filmed there. It's one of only two movies. Cool, cool, cool. And there is a writer strike. So what does that mean? Well, the writer of the script that was given to Joe Dante is not legally allowed to be on site. And turns out that the writers of the scripts are on site 99% of the time, if not all the time, except for right now. And they're utilized to give insight into like, what's the vision? If Dante or the characters are stuck, they're going to phone a friend and bring in the writer. But here's the thing. There's a writer strike and they don't have that option. So Mm -hmm. they are going in blind to this thing. They get the script. The script is called Bay window for this movie, which was an homage most likely to Rear Window by Hitchcock. But Dante being confident in his own skill and his thing, he recoins it the burbs because he wants to give it its own kind of vibe, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's really not like the Hitchcock movie. It's just a jumping off point. So due to that, uh, Dante and this amazing cast are able to make it their own and really execute on their own vision of the characters and freeform it into more of a like theater piece or more of a performance art piece and they filmed it consecutively because they didn't have the writer so they filmed it front to back crazy right yeah that is crazy that's very crazy but that's cool you know it, it definitely uh it's probably nice to be on be like tom hanks and the actors just to be able to jump into these characters and become them from front to back instead of you know, in the middle of the script and trying to break it apart. So just being able to start from front to back, getting to know these people and molding them the way they see it was probably a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. So some more uh, facts about this movie here. It cost $18 million to make. Uh, opening weekend, it brought in $35 million in the box office. Uh, but Siskel and Ebert, uh, they, they weren't a fan of it. No. They did not like it. It largely went overlooked, though, which is a, it's, it's a bummer. But with, I guess, uh, the writer's strike going on and a lot of the movies being mm. made, uh, people were, just didn't have a lot to go to. No, uh, there weren't a lot of options. Yeah. Although, I will say Gleaming the Cube, which is one of the best movies ever made about skateboarding and christian slater okay did yeah. come out right before and then right after this was heathers so this is really like a christian slater sandwich <laughs> where slater is the bread and the burbs is like the pastrami the cheese the yummy inside yeah the chicken you know fingers if you sm- put it in there oh it sounds awesome it does sound good yeah well let me ask you something spencer please what makes this movie a cult classic oh. and a fan favorite oh my gosh Well, people with great taste know a great thing when it's right in front of them Mm -hmm. on a cinematic plate. (laughs) And that's what this movie is, man. It is a great synergy of these amazing players bringing their A-game. The peak of Corey Feldman. Carrie Fisher in this new light as a hot mom. Yes. Thank you, Dante. Thank you, Joe Dante. (laughs) And also Tom Hanks is a hot dad. Hey, I'm going to play to both sides here. Thank you, Joe Dante. No matter who you are, you get something here. You get both of them, and they're at at their prime. You get this simple and effective story. You get the confidence and youthfulness of Dante as a director who just got out of Gremlins and is like making these human beings act like cartoons, really. So that's special. And then you have this amazing blend of comedy, horror, and suspense. You have the burbs there it is yeah man that's great that's a good uh a good answer to that question what about you my friend 
Well, I like the uh, the simplicity of the uh, the story. It keeps it uh, timeless, allows it to age marvelously. Every uh, every neighborhood has a horror house like this, and um, the neighbors wondering what the hell's going on in that house. You know, I know you probably had that where uh, where you were growing up. I had one in in in, in my town. Yes. You know, you'd hear the the urban legends of what happened in there. Somebody died. Yeah. Committed suicide. Yada yada. And you'd hear these stories, and every time you drive by on your bike, you'd wonder, you'd want to go in and check it out. Absolutely. And as we get into the night here together with the candles lit and the drinks poured, we're going to talk about the house and the characters and the theme. And we're, we're going to talk about everything we can fit in here. But I want to ask you this, and I'll, I'll tell you my answer. What's your favorite horror house? And if I had to pick my favorite horror house, this is a kind of a cop out, but I would pick Norman Bates mom's house. Oh, okay. Right, right above the, uh, the hotel. The hotel. And sp- speaking of the universal backlot, it is really connects to the whole thing here it's still there so yeah we've yeah. gone to it and seen it seen it yeah it's so cool and nearby where they film this so it's all connected in a weird way too yeah you know what Get- about you man oh that is a good i know question i know you i already s- have my answer ready so sorry yeah, i kind of no, cheated no, it's okay uh i would have to say the Adams Family House. Yeah, good choice. There's a lot of shit going on in that house. A lot of weird rooms, trap doors. There's like a tunnel with like a boat that goes to that treasure chest in the second one, I believe. Good, yeah. You know, there's a lot going on and I would love to explore that. You went to the Winchester Mystery House, right? I didn't get to go. No, we got to go soon. I know, I know. The, uh, the tickets I got... Uh, I didn't read the fine print. Oh, no. On the Groupon? uh, Yeah, on the Groupon. (laughs) And it was no good on federal holidays. So I went in and the typical northeastern New Jersey adrenaline rush came in. And I was like, what? I got these. It should work. Yeah. And then the guy scrolled down to the fine print and it said, "Uh, not able to use on a federal holiday because what come yeah. on groupon get it together yeah because yeah, we went on on like flag mo- day whatever president's <laughs> day or something because it was like that monday hey you know what like sorry winchester house i didn't know you love the president so much that i can't go in here right now because you're like celebrating i was so stoked for it too like i was looking forward to that like it was cool rolling up but yeah it's a bummer but All whatever right. next well, time around let's keep it positive we'll go up there and check it out together maybe yeah. it's because we weren't together yeah that's it we if need it, to be in that house together man if we were our we would have overwhelmed the uh the staff there with whatever we got to offer here's my perfect dream vacation for us two dudes okay okay check it out we go to winchester mystery house and then we also go to um santa cruz boardwalk which was like santa carla in the lost Lost boys Boys. yep 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 which had Corey feldman there's a lost boys pizza place there i saw like all lost boys themed uh slices I, one yeah. has maggots on it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, and it connects, dude. Everything connects in this podcast just miraculously through Black Magic and Corey Feldman. Yes. So that's perfect. It's all connected. Well, yeah, dude. Take a sec here. Colleen's calling too. So hang on. Hey, what's up? Pizza time. What, say it one more time. Pizza time. I'm sorry. Could you please repeat that, pizza lady? It's time for pizza, boys. Oh, wow. What time is it? What? <laughs> I, could you please repeat the last one? What? Oh my god, this cheesy bread. Hey, you put that down. There's only eight of them, and there's seven of her me, and one's for Artie. Oh. What the hell? <laughs> oh my god, pineapples and green peppers? Yeah, here, could you bring that out here, please? We're in the middle of being productive. If we go in there, it's going to throw off everything. Uh, no. I'm dead serious, please. 
come on. Just put some on a plate and bring it out here, please. Shit burn, all right? Bye. Come on. All right, cool. So, bro, the pizza's on the way. My intern's bringing it in. Damn, yeah, we got interns in the studio. (laughs) My intern, yeah, yeah, my intern's bringing it in. We're a legit studio here. Artie, you're the best in the San Fernando Valley at giving movie synopsises or synopsi. Thank you. Synopsises. From the from the one that I've just given, the yeah. only one. So and it was <laughs> awesome. So you have a 100% success rate. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. So let's pretend that someone listening hasn't seen The Burbs, which is very likely because apparently no one has. No one. Yeah, weird, except for us and a few other really cool people. Tell us, man, what happens in the burbs? <clears throat> well, let me give you the rundown here. First off, I got two words. Tom mm-hmm. Hanks. <laughs> Starts off with Tom Hanks from oh, the man. get-go. He's your lead playing Ray Peterson, the average run-of-the-mill young dad. You got his wife, Carrie Fisher, playing Carol, who is, as you would expect, the perfect companion. They're, mm-hmm. they're a great couple. Absolutely. The neighborhood is like any other collection of white picket fences in suburbia. Mm -hmm. That is until the ever-so-strange Copex move into the equally strange and creepy rundown house that's right next door. Uh Uh-oh. We've got strange sounds and lights happening in the middle of the night. People are sleeping. All this stuff's going on. Graves being dug in their backyard. No one comes in. No one comes out. Neighbors from hell. Absolutely. A femur bone is discovered? That's correct. <laughs> what? Yeah. Walter's gone missing? He's gone. The Kopex have to be stopped, and Ray has to rally up his squad of misfit neighbors to bring justice to the block. Yes. And who better to join him than Corey Feldman, Rick Dukeman, and Bruce Dern? There no it one's. Is. There it is. No it's one's better. The dream team. So, Artie, take it away and kick it off. I want to get to know the cast and characters. We'll start with Tom Hanks. Of course. You got to start with Tom Hanks. It, it starts and ends with Tom Hanks. Everything in life yep, starts and ends with Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, you're born, learn about Tom Hanks. The last person you see when you die is Tom Hanks. If that is the case, then I would not fear death. It'd be a beautiful thing. I would welcome it at any point. <laughs> I mean... It's just Tom Hanks. He's heaven sent. <laughs> You know? Well, Ray Peterson. Mm-hmm. That's who he plays in the he, movie, he Ray does. Peterson. He's your normal guy, simple and plain. Mm-hmm. This truly was a turning point of Tom Hanks. For sure it was. Exclusively playing The Bachelor, the hunk, the handsome Hollywood leading man. He turns into a dad. Yeah, he did not want to be a dad either. He, he didn't. He pleaded with Joe Dante to take the kid out. Yeah. But, yeah. Ha- but what happened? Well, with Big, which premiered during the filming of The Burbs, mm-hmm. this is the first time... Hanks plays a father. Yeah. And uh, the last time he would be in a silly movie before almost exclusively signing off to award-winning dramas, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this is the this is the turning point. Everything from here on out is going to resonate. And Tom Hanks is about to become a household name. Yeah. Because Big was, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm. it had to have won an, an Oscar or been award, uh, nominated for an Oscar. I mean, it was larger than life big was big yeah no pun intended big right? was big no pun intended pun, nice puns dude B- big pun intended Ooh, you got the best big old puns <laughs> nice set of puns on you man thank you thank you sit those things down and podcast for a while all right cool man well uh anything else you want to say about tommy hanks it's your boy i mean i don't want to you know rob you of this moment well there's a few other interesting yeah what did you notice things? about tom hanks in this movie well he he is very comfortable on the block Mm. He uh, he's just barefoot, no socks, no shoes. 
No service? No service. No. Well, full service for yeah. Tom Hanks. No socks, no shoes. <laughs> full, f- Tom Hanks. Hanks service. <laughs> He's walking out in the street. Do barefoot. you do that in Glendale? I do not do that in Glendale. Really? Not. I walk out in my socks, but not barefoot. I do walk out in my socks, though. Maybe the socks. I've walked out. Is in, that worse? Well, I don't know. I'm That's just, probably grosser. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm just weird. I think we're all, like living in cities and just Well, seeing, not just any city. What city did you live in? We both lived in Philadelphia. Yeah, dude. You know, I went to wear the tra- two, two pairs of shoes. Yeah, the <laughs> trash flows down the street yeah. like water. Yeah, and the burbs, just so you guys know, not to spoiler alert, but the trash stays on the ground for like consistency purposes, <laughs> yes. which is amazing. In the city of Philadelphia, the trash stays on the ground due to uh, budget restrictions. <laughs> yes, and, and just people not giving a shit. Right. So maybe that's a little tie tie back to yeah. the burbs here but even in the scene where they do go dig through the garbage uh truck tom hanks is barefoot yeah. connecting oh, yeah. the garbage and the barefoot i think does he jump in i forget if he, he needs jumped. a pair of um slippers i guess <clears throat> yeah maybe some something just something to cover the feet but you know it's the cul-de-sac he's comfortable it's his block he knows what's going on he knows what it's trash primal, is on the dude. ground. It's primal. He's so, the king of the block. He's saying, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, dude. What else, man? Tell me about Hanks. Well, I don't know if you heard. He has uh, a new tool set, you know? <laughs> he got it. He's very excited. He's from uh, his mother-in-law? Father-in-law? Yes, <laughs> yes I'm, I think you're right, yeah. <laughs> but he is stoked. He wants to show art. I think he talks about it a couple times throughout the movie, even yeah. to the Copex. Uh, maybe. I might be making He's that up, too. pumped on those tools. He is pumped on the tools. He, he is a skeptic. Yeah, he is. He and doesn't want to believe it. He doesn't want to believe it. And that's me. Yeah. I just always want to give the benefit of the doubt. Like, no... It's you know. good to think that way sometimes, though. Yeah, you know? yeah. You always want to be, like, hesitant. You don't want to admit when things are a little cray-cray. Yeah. He is the hero of staycations. Yeah. Do you feel guilty when you take them? Have you? Let me ask you this. Have you ever taken a staycation? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I have, yeah. Like, yeah. I had some vacation time, just wanted to kick it at home. It's cool. Know? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Well, you know, it's I'm torn because when you're doing it, it feels great. But then you do go back to work and look back and go, oh, my God. Yeah. I, I didn't do anything. That's true. You know, but in your head, you're like, oh, I'm doing so much. Yeah. And it's cool. He says to Carol, he pleads like, oh, I'm going to stay home. It's going to be great for me. I'm going to fix the barbecue. And this barbecue comes back later on. Yeah, it does. Joe Dante does a really nice job of almost being like a funnier Stanley Kubrick and making every little detail have a point or yeah. a purpose. So as you watch it, it's weird. Like you notice these things that you didn't notice before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, little things tied in or you'll see it occurring again. Well, yes. But yeah. Um, and what about the ending, dude? Like talk about Tom Hanks, man. What? The ending is, uh, it's my favorite piece of, uh, behind the scenes facts of this movie. Um, you can't kill Tom Hanks. Basically they, uh, they had the ending written for the lead to die, Ray Peterson to die. But with Tom Hanks signing on, they didn't want to kill him they didn't yeah. they don't want to kill him off so they had to redo the ending uh for for the sake of hanks keep <laughs> hanks alive um that's crazy huh yeah that is kind of crazy imagine you're so well loved that they have to rewrite an ending of a movie to keep you alive like you can't kill him they even they kill ryan gosling yeah he dies in movies yeah yeah but tom hanks nope nope we need to rewrite yeah you can't kill Tom Hanks, you dude. You can't. That's really nice. I'm glad that at least in this crazy messed up world, that one thing is makes sense. You cannot kill Tom Hanks. No, some things are sacred, man. 
It's like the Holy Trinity, the Jesus, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy the Ghost. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks should be like a holy quad. <laughs> the Tom the, Hanks. The Holy Square. Tom Hanks creates, you know, the missing link in the Holy Square. <laughs> and speaking of that, Carrie Fisher, playing Carol, did the same exact thing. Oh, wow, yeah. 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 So tell us a little bit about Carrie Fisher, if you don't mind. She's very authentic, mm-hmm. genuine, and a loving wife. Yeah. She's trying to keep Tom Hanks balanced and, uh, and fight off the distractions and temptations of the suburbs. Yeah, man. Why not go out for a vacation? Tom just wants to hang out, stay at home, fix the barbecue grill, yeah, spy on the neighbors. And and thank God he did, because oh. if he didn't, this would be a, a pretty lame movie. Yeah, like, yeah. And if Tom Hanks did go to the lake, Tom Hanks at the lake. The dank old cabin. Although if he went to Camp Crystal Lake, Tom Hanks there, mm-hmm. that could really work out in our favor. Be a whole different movie. That I'm down with. But uh, unfortunately, I, I feel like you just would have went to a regular run-of-the-mill lame lake so thank you tom hanks for uh not listening to your wife and staying at home and thus creating the burbs thank you yeah so this is where i really want you to go in depth (laughs) to your theory about the uh, infamous line that she says so she calls him a tuna neck so i've never heard of that term before have you ever heard tuna neck no but it's really good well coming from carrie fisher oh 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 so Uh Uh, uh, okay that's no. a good pun i think okay I good quit. pun i'm gonna retire the pun game no 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 except the big pun game it can only go up from here tuna neck good burn good job carrie but that's the theory that uh <laughs> you know she was just like hey my last name's fisher you fish for tuna necks yeah everybody has them tuna neck this is also the first time you're seeing carrie fisher as a very very beautiful gorgeous mom that's mm-hmm. all I'm going to say. In a backless dress. Yeah, and it looks great. Mm-hmm. So let's remember her that way. Yes. Because, wow, uh, a sight for sore eyes right there, you know? Yeah, yeah. I love their fighting and their bickering, and Joe Dante says ever so lovingly that watching them interact was so realistic, and the two of them were on a pretty elite level at doing what they did with acting, and yeah. I think they really, really clicked. Like, the chemistry is so nice. Yeah, between between them, it was real. It was, you know, yeah. you, it was great. The fighting is, like, not funny or too much or this, that. It's very realistic the yeah. way they, like, kind of bicker and stuff. I, I really like watching it. It's good. It kind of just keeps it brief and flowing with what's going on. And Yeah, I love flowing in my briefs. <laughs> in your briefs, yes. Oh, well, that's, for the diehard fans, you'll enjoy the fact that I made that joke in the first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you've been paying attention. Yeah, thank it's you. It's a little Joe Dante style <laughs> yeah. right there. Well, we've talked about Ray and Carol. Yep. So now let's talk about uh, Art, the neighbor. Do you want to... Yes, I do. Uh, first, I'm going to have a sip of my drink and have a moment of silence for the great Rick Dukeman, one of the most underrated and talented comics of his time. So thank you for everything that you've done. And I'm going to have a sip of my drink in your honor. I'm with you on that. All right. Cheers. Mr. Rick. Man, the unsung hero of Hollywood. This guy is funny and he's rivaled by none. And he plays a character that nobody beats him at. Rick Dukeman plays Art Weinstein, the funny, happy-go-lucky, just 
perfect comic execution of every every line he has is a one-liner like yeah. every line and how he looks and acts is funny just watching him is funny but he's just as equally cool and we first meet him next door to ray and carol next to the petersons trying to shoot a crow that's in his backyard pestering him and of course he misses and grazes by tom hanks's head almost killing him yeah tom hanks almost yeah. dies and- so, rick dukeman <laughs> we meet within moments is uh, accidentally almost sniping tom hanks in the head yes. with a uh, john wayne style cowboy gun so <laughs> awesome and then he goes hey ray what are you guys eating in there oh yes goes into the house and just takes the uh, refrigerator by storm yes he eats the breakfast eats the breakfast eats the ribs takes a pineapple out a whole pineapple and just starts gossiping about the clopex moving in next door and just feeding them these stories of craziness and and in total suspense in his eyes in Art's eyes, the character's name, again, is Art Weinstein. He is telling them that they burned down their old house. They're the neighbors from hell. You never see him going in or out. And he's just really throwing some gas on the fire. And he's an instigator. And he's funny. And he's like in this bowling shirt and plaid polyester disco pants. He is one of a kind. And this is his breakout role. He is absolutely what makes this movie rewatchable a million times over. And this was it. This is what brought him from stand-up comedy to Hollywood. And he played in a lot of movies, being sort of the icing on top, in the sense that he was that character that you kind of like don't realize was there until you watch it again and go, oh my God, like he was great. Like in Die Hard. Yeah. It's a great example. Also has to cut the power. Yeah. And he's dressed that way. <laughs> yeah. And all these lines, you know, they're ad-libbed. He says to Tom Hanks, Ray, this is Walter with the extreme close-up, and they're screaming, and he goes, Ray, Ray, shh. <laughs> like, tells him the shush afterwards. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, what is that? And then, you know, saving the best for last, he goes to Tom Hanks when he has this occult book, when they're trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. He says, like, what, Ray? You're just going to sit back and watch your whole family be turned into some type of a satanic pate? <laughs> and Ray's like, I'm not listening to this. I'm not going to listen to you now. <laughs> and then Art goes over. He's like, what, Ray? Ray, you're chanting. You're chanting. Oh. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is her pal. It's <laughs> awesome. It's genius. And there's no way it's in the script. This is just Rick Dukeman at his best. What a guy. And Artie, you're a fan of stand-up comedy. Like, every weekend you're going out to see stand-up somewhere. And, man, when you dig on this guy's set, he's just such a talent. And it's so sad that he's gone. But yeah. the Burbs is, like, paying such homage to him and his talent and his skill. And fans of this movie are big fans of Rick Dukeman because he is what made it what it is. He kept up with Tom Hanks and rivaled his ability. And the two of them going at it uh, as actors is what made it really what it is. But also they have this way of just being like kids in it. Like they're these yeah. young hearted kids where watching them interact, it's like watching a couple of grown men that are children. Yeah. And it's really fun. And they work off each other and work, yeah. you know, it's the good, it's good chemistry. Yeah, Same it thing really with is. the Carrie Fisher as you know, it's like, he's the other side of it. He's like on his, the other shoulder pushing him what to do. And the yeah. back and forth is just perfect. Yeah. Dante got lucky, I guess with this cast. Cause it's a beautiful cast. Yeah. And I'll, I'll stop now because I could go on and on, but man, Rick Dukeman, man. Well, don't stop yet. We yeah. have one more person to talk about that. I want you to talk about. Mm hmm. I don't know if it's one more person. I think it's the last person. Yeah, well, we'll talk about two more, but okay. but one big player. One definitely big player. Yeah. All right. Take us there. Oh, man, the pressure's on, but you guessed it. 
it's Corey Feldman. We won't talk about Stand By Me, The Goonies, and The Lost Boys, and the million movies he's been in that are just beautiful. Like, they should be shot up in a cannon to space. If there are aliens out there, Corey Feldman could represent what a movie should be. Yes. I mean, seriously, Just his right? past catalog. Maybe not the current one. Yeah. We don't want to show that version of So at this point, he's the young one in the group. He's really just a teenager. And he's hanging out with this older group of guys in the neighborhood. But he keeps up with them. And he gives a little bit of edge. He gives that youthfulness to the group. And he's the one that brings in an audience of a younger caliber that can connect with this character, which is cool. So now the group of of these guys going out, you have grown adults. You have a a retired veteran, which we'll get into in a second. We have a 17-year-old like stoner type kid. So no matter who you are, you're going to connect with somebody in this movie and and enjoy it. Yeah. So Feldman is playing a 17-year-old. They're abouts, I'd say, by the name of Ricky Butler. And Corey Feldman's at his prime. There's a 1-900 Corey Feldman like hotline right around this time. He's in the leather jacket with the studs and like the long kind of mullety, flowy hair. And he is uh, a young protege of Michael Jackson. Like they became buddies, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. So much so, Artie, that uh, <laughs> what's the deal with that, with the, with the Michael Jackson Feldman connection? Well, he, uh, he would bring Bubbles, the, uh, the chimp, uh, on set and hang out. They had an interesting friendship together, um, and I guess MJ was cool with it. Yeah. And he would be on set, and he would have to hang out in Corey's trailer. Yep. And I guess would uh, defecate and <laughs> probably throw it all over the place. <laughs> Not Corey Feldman. <laughs> no, but Bubbles. Right, okay, I'm just following. Yes. Okay. No, it's, it's a good point to clarify. Uh, maybe Corey Feldman was involved with that. We don't know, but... Mm-hmm. Bubbles, definitely. And I guess uh, they had enough on set and had to... Uh, Kick Bubbles had out. Had to ban Bubbles. Bubbles was not allowed. Can you imagine making that phone call to Michael Jackson? Like, hey, Mike, what's up? Hey. You know, <laughs> hey. I won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, hey, Mike, sorry, Bubbles is cool, but uh, hey, he's like throwing his own... His own... What do you call that in the movie industry? What do you call shit? I think just that. Shit? Yeah. Hey, Mike. <laughs> I think, really, really, I think hey, that's Mike, across the board. <laughs> hey, Mike, off the wall was really cool. But hey, Bubbles is throwing his shit onto the wall. Yeah. So if you could get him out of here, that'd be really cool. Because <laughs> now Corey Feldman's doing it too. And he's throwing his shit at the wall too. So so yeah, that's, that's yeah. the deal, man. Corey Feldman has Bubbles, yeah. Michael Jackson's monkey, in his star trailer, his star van. Permission you know. from MJ. That's too. crazy, yes. huh? And side note, too, he's a really young, shy kid at this time. Like, he's going through a thing where he's becoming a man, if that's not, not to be awkward. But in interviews, he's super shy, and he plays a really boombastic, like, hooligan, yeah. like a uh, stoner-type kid here, and it's so fun to watch. And he's living in the Munster's house, which we'll get into later on, and he also is a vegetarian. And his favorite food at this time was, guess this, bean and cheese substitutes at Taco Bell. And Artie, you know me, anytime we roll through Taco Bell, I order bean and cheese instead of meat. I, and I that have to say true. it like 15 times so I don't mess it up. Cr- oh, Crunchwrap Supreme, the one that's like a, f- a crunchy frisbee taco. They're delicious. Oh, yes. I love them. I have a hard time remembering the world before they were in it. Yeah. But there was a time there where Crunchwraps were not around and that bums me out. Yeah. Like, well, don't don't think back okay. to that. Okay, I'll block it They're out. They're here. So I'm going to block those decades out They're of my life. They're here to stay. So I get the crunch wrap, I substitute beef for bean. And then get nasty diarrhea. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I'm pretty immune to it. Okay, well, that's good. Surprisingly. That's good. What's your What's your go-to at Taco Bell? I usually get chicken quesadilla. I used to get the Mexican pizza a lot. Mm-hmm. But uh, I um, I don't substitute anything. I just straight up order as is mm-hmm. and, uh, and get 
bad diarrhea afterward. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've been lucky to not have diarrhea occur as much. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. But And I also, speaking of luck, I ran into Corey Feldman at the Ralphs. Did he have diarrhea? It's, it's possible. He looked unhappy, oh, but I think no. it's because I made eye contact and he saw me smile. And, <laughs> and knew. And knew like, I knew uh, who he... He knew that I knew that, that he knew that like, I knew. I have diarrhea. I ran into Corey Feldman at the cereal aisle in Ralph's mm. in Encino. I'm very proud of that. That's but I didn't a, say a word. I didn't want to mess it up. No, it's cool. But I hope... To, you have that moment forever. I hope to communicate with him one day in real life. Yeah. It will, will happen. You will. So that's Ricky Butler. He's a real cool dude. And this is like during this whole tubular cowabunga type era. He was the voice of Donatello in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. He was. Fun fact, the secret of the ooze. But his character in the Burbs is more of a Michelangelo. He's all about good times, hanging out with the friends, the guys, and getting pizza. And really, really interesting fact some say that the term pizza dude is from this movie, The Burbs, because Corey Feldman talks about the pizza dude. Yes. To celebrate Feldman, we are now surrounded by pizza. Yes. From Domino's, not to name drop, but I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, it is. Domino's pizza is very unique. But we have pizza here. We do to celebrate. And yeah, yeah, he's oddly enough the normal one amongst the group of adults. And they're going further and further off the deep end, but Feldman stays interestingly enough pretty balanced he's like the voice of reason out of the guys yeah which is funny and he finds this whole thing pretty entertaining and he brings out a date to it and he he has a party yes, on his yes. front lawn hence the term get out of my yard lamo which is pretty amazing and yeah i think he was on the right track because this was one of the most entertaining movies of 1989 and feldman knew it so he brought friends to watch the madness so yeah good job feldman in this you're funny you are smooth a smooth criminal Ooh, some might say and uh go. yeah man you're cool i love you Corey feldman and last but not least we have bruce dern who plays a character by the name of rumsfield a veteran of a war which i believe is vietnam at this time he does say something along those lines he is critical to the group because he has that military background where he's taking this seriously man and all the gear he's got <laughs> yeah all the toys the walkie-talkies the yep night vision goggle things all that yeah he's got all the gear He's got all the cool stuff that they need to get to the bottom of this thing. And he's got that military mindset where it's like, it's a real war going down in the cul-de-sac, in the mm -hmm. mean streets of Colonial Street here in the Universal Studios backlot. You know, Bruce Dern's character, Rumsfeld, is taking it seriously, man. He flies that flag, salutes it, takes pride in his lawn. And he has some amazing one-liners in this movie, which we're going to save for a little bit later to be honest with you. So Bruce Stern, great job in here. Man, he's convincing. Yeah, he is. He's good. He's just like the other ones. He's He keeps up. Yeah, and just adds another uh, little element to this masterpiece here. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, we have the skeptic. We have the loof. We have the tough military mindset here with Bruce Dern. And we have, you know, the loving voice of reason with Carol playing the wife and Corey Feldman playing the uh, young stud hotshot. On the sidelines. Just, on the sidelines. Yeah, giving his, uh, his opinions, his commentary to it. Yeah, and that's, you know? that's the main characters in the Burbs, not to mention the Klopex and a lot of other people coming in and out here. Even the garbage men are played by some pretty significant names and Hollywood, but we don't want to go too deep in there. We're just painting the picture of the cast and character, the synopsis, so you can get ready to come along for the ride as we go a little bit deeper into the burbs. So the house. Yeah, yeah. 
You mentioned Colonial Street on the Universal Backlot, which is where this was filmed. And other movies were shot back there and houses such as the Leave it to Beaver House, the Animal House House. And I know this is probably going to be a favorite for you, but Ricky Butler lives in the Monsters House. Yeah, man. 1313 Mockingbird Lane. Yep. That's uh, that's why it's kind of just like a weird, I feel like a weird angle shot on it because they didn't want to reference that house make it obvious on what it was you know yeah it's it's wild when you compare it side by side and go on you know kind of deeper into just having fun on the internet it doesn't look the same at all but it does yeah you know like yeah. it's funny how in context these guys can make these houses look completely different mm-hmm. from just a few little changes but yeah the more things change the more they stay the same the suburbs look similar now to when they did in the 70s or the 80s that's what's kind of cool about the movie is you watch it and it's the same as as it's ever been yeah and even um when i've been back there it looks the same now and they they have it up to speed now with like desperate housewives or i don't know some some stuff like that some more modern show but it still has that same suburban back roads feel yeah they're they're filming some tv that i don't watch but it's very current yeah and they're using the same exact setup so i think that's what's cool about the burbs is that the venue is timeless and easy to connect to for anybody who lives in the burbs yep looks the same and feels the same so i think that's cool the house itself is really great and has this own vibe its own aura it's its own character and that's where joe dante really shines the score is its own character and the way it's filmed feels like its own very unique character and also the house plays its own definitive role in the movie so much so that when we were watching it we really dug how the minute you even step foot you're barefoot if you're tom (laughs) yes you're barefoot down in front of this house the wind picks up and it spits leaves at you and you know the creeks come out lightning almost and and the house really comes to life like the minute you step foot on the property which is cool yeah it's it's cool it's just like you're entering a different universe a different world it's cool because it's very realistic how they portrayed the burbs and how it looks and feels but the story is so over the top and the score just brings it to another level and the acting is really great and over the top that it's like real but surreal Mm -hmm. at the same time and i really dig the house Artie, what are some little things about the house that that you're pumped on i was a fan of the house number part the house number is 669 Mm -hmm. and uh, when they approach the house to go see what's going on the first time the uh then the last six flips over and then becomes 666 yes thought that was kind of cool the house is letting them know yes 666 the number of the bees beware you know (laughs) there's some evil inside but that was kind of cool how about you do you have a favorite part well i mean the 666 number the bees pun warming me up here to the bees segment is definitely where i'm going i I thought it was funny the bees flew out of that hole yes yes and uh you know stung up the guys here and you love the the lack of uh (laughs) bandages that they had uh on hanks i on i feel like art art only had two on his whole face like one like (laughs) on his forehead maybe like one on his chin or cheek area but i feel like the way they ran away and were acting there should have been more attacks but it's all good you know minor details like to pick things apart like that but i just thought that was kind of funny and i promise the listeners that i would give you guys a gift of one of bruce dern's many amazing one-liners and i am going to deliver just like Domino's delivered this pizza to us the pizza dude so you know i would say that right here when bruce dern says back in vietnam we used to call this kind of thing bad karma it's awesome and and I, i don't know if that's really 
what they would say in the war or, or whatever. But Bruce Dern's so cool and funny that I'm like, okay, cool, man. It's bad karma. Good yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's also cool the continuity aspect of the fact that when Art Weinstein stepped in, you know, Art fell through mm-hmm. the floor. And then later, I think it's Bruce Dern falls yeah. through the floor he too falls through, yeah, and knocks porch. over the brownies. And I feel like Bruce Dern, here's a double. I'll give you a BOGO. One Bruce Dern line for another one free. He's like, the goddamn brownies or whatever <laughs> when he drops the brownies. Oh, uh, yes, yes. So, because uh, they're bringing and then, them. And then hands it to him too. He's yeah. like, here are your brownies. Yeah. <laughs> and you know it's ad-libbed. You know it's ad-libbed. And it's so good. So, good job, Bruce Dern. There you go, listeners. I committed. I told you I was going to talk about Bruce Dern's one-liners. Yes, they're, um, they're there. And that's a great segment to them going in the house to meet the Klopex for the first time. And, yep. you know, you got to watch the movie to see everything that happens in between that we're skipping. But when they get in the house, things go really crazy. And that's where we see the dinner party with the Klopex. Are you ready to go in the house, Artie? Yes, let's go. Are you sure? Yeah, yep, sure. Right, yep, cool. I am now. We're good. All right, well, get your leg out of the floorboards on the patio because we're going in. So here, I just want to take a second to talk about one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And this is a fan favorite when it comes to the scenes here, not just for me, but for a lot of people on the internet too. There's these long shots of the room and absence of the score. And the score is such a major component that when it drops out, you feel it, right? Yeah. Like you can hear the ticking of the clock and really feel the awkwardness in the room. And the camera is rested on Art's shoulder. So we see it from the vantage point of Art, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool that you are in that moment seeing it from Art's eyes. Yeah. Who's my favorite character? Hands down. Obviously, I love Rick Dukeman. So it's cool that they did that. That was very forward thinking or innovative or pretty hip uh, yeah. you know to do a camera angle like that yeah and then your boy rumsfield again we're giving a lot of props to bruce dern as <laughs> deserved he does something that you really enjoy he's, in this creep house he's he rips the wallpaper off the wall like <laughs> just mid conversation yeah. just listening and he's just casually ripping wallpaper off realizes it's going a little too much and like, tries <laughs> to patch it back up and i think he that, that painting too he's trying to figure out mm-hmm. there's that uh detailed painting of a surgery like yep. a live surgery thing going on um just trying to flip it around, seeing the best view for it. But yeah, he's just checking out the house, making his way around. And what's so cool is that painting you're mentioning is actually from Rod Serling's Night Gallery. Oh, wow, yeah. So for you guys listening, make sure you take note of that because it's literally from Rod Serling's Night Gallery, which is cool because Joe Dante, if you didn't know this, directed the Twilight Zone movie. He had a hand in that. So Uh he's a big fan of Twilight Zone. And it's almost like The Burbs is the Twilight Zone meets Rear Window from Hitchcock. And it's a very unique blend of his influences. So just a side note, there's a lot of little Easter eggs because Dante loves throwing them in. So just wanted to throw that out there. And uh, the anchovies on the pretzel. Yes. Very gross. Yes. (laughs) The the delicious um, food that the Colpex decide to serve to their guests. Yeah, Tom Hanks has to finally, well, has to eat anchovies on pretzels after finally meeting these creepy neighbors. You can't be rude. No, nope. you know, and he does it. He, you know, I feel like steps it, up to the, the plate. The sound effects and all all that were louder in that part too. Hearing the crunch and like the slimy anchovy noise, it Ugh. just is like a little louder, like a Tim and Eric style volume up on the weird noise, just to kind of make it creepy and put you in the mood of Tom Hanks. But yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. And my favorite line in the Burbs. Well, one 
one of them. One of them. You have a lot of favorite lines. I, they're all great. The whole movie is my favorite line. But uh, Rumsfeld says, he says, uh, about a nine on the tension scale there, Rube, because he asks him if he's Slovak. And uh, he just yells back, no. And uh, Bruce Dern replies with that great one-liner. Yes. Man, about a nine on the tension scale. That's just fantastic. It's awesome. And then we think that there's somebody in the basement, possibly Walter and his dog, Queenie, who, again, while we're on the subject of Easter eggs in Joe Dante movies, Queenie, the dog, was in Silence of the Lamb. So this is her second starring in an amazing horror film. Yeah, yep. Great great job, Queenie. She's got some legit screen cred. That's a great IMDb profile for Queenie <laughs> the dog. Yep, right. I was in Silence of the Lambs and I was in The Burbs. Yep. Suck it. I would hire her for any job. Yeah, this dog is, has a better resume than most anyone else yes. in Hollywood right now. <laughs> so good job. And the interior of the house does not disappoint. It's like very much feels like the haunted mansion or something it's, yep. cre- it's creepy in there but not too creepy there's a lot to see a lot to look at yeah and every time you watch the movie you're going to notice something different yep. so I, please watch it a hundred times and you you'll see what we mean and yeah the wallpaper being ripped off yeah. great yeah. job Rumsfeld. like what yeah. the hell are you doing yeah he's just like oh, i'll just start peeling this away they won't care man a dinner party with the clopex that sounds like a real treat man you know i, I would be stoked on that yeah yeah me too Well, if you could sit down with any horror celebs for a bite to eat, who would you choose? I would go have a meal with Beetlejuice. Yeah. I feel like he'd be fun to talk to. (laughs) He'd be crazy, probably torment me a little bit, but it'd be an entertaining time you know oh yeah he was cool he was fun he seemed chill yeah uh for me i gotta bring it back you know me too well i'm a big monsters guy so i'd want to have dinner with the monsters that's a good choice you know and you do love the monsters yeah i could be like the cool older brother they're like a wholesome monster family yeah i look like butch patrick's like older brother with my whole like receding hairline thing and um yeah i feel like we would really vibe then maybe they would let me like move in yeah you know so i'd pick the monsters for sure did I ever tell you my dad tried out to be in the Monsters? Dude, no way. He was going to be like Eddie Munster, apparently. Can you imagine, dude? But like, they had to move out here or something, but he auditioned for it. And they loved him. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's insane. I'm a big fan, so that's why I, I dig your dad. <laughs> I just, I, I didn't, I thought I told you that before. You totally did, but I pretended I didn't know because I wanted to just say it here. That's okay. Because <laughs> if I said yeah, and we just moved on. <laughs> that would be better, though. You would have robbed <laughs> the world of that information. But that's the cliffhanger, you yeah. know? Tune into the next week where I may talk about my dad. Well, dude, I don't know if I told you this, but um, my dad is Tom Hanks, so. I knew that, actually. Yeah, sorry, bro. That's why you're handsome. My brother's name is Colin. So, damn, that's yeah. true. But I, Tom Hanks is not my father. Jeff Goldblum is my father. That is even cooler. Yeah. What if you're, you had two dads and one was Tom Hanks and the other was Jeff Goldblum? We'd have a smash successful movie. Yeah, you would. And my acting debut. <laughs> that would be great. My, yep. My two dads. So, Artie, thanks for talking to us and being at the dinner party with the Clopex. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Dude, I want to talk about Ray's Nightmare. Let's talk about it. So this is a fan favorite. And I think my favorite scene, one of them, the whole movie is maybe my favorite scene though, in case you haven't noticed. So it is. <laughs> so hey, I got news for you guys. Lesson learned from this movie. You can you can learn a few things if you watch the burbs. If you fall asleep in bed with a cult book 
A leather bound occult book. The size of your torso in the place of your loving wife. And you fall asleep after watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Exorcist on television. Chances are you're going to have a night terror. Yeah, an extreme one, probably. Yeah, at at 2 a.m. And guess what? The movie doesn't disappoint because that's what happens. Yep. And as we see Tom Hanks nuzzling the occult book, we're panning out of static on the TV, which is a nice little nod to Poltergeist as well. So good job there as always we have this really cool nightmare which is a real fun part in the movie where you get a little bit of a break from the story and you get taken down this little rabbit hole and you know i'll keep it brief as you say Artie. what we have here is a chainsaw ripping through the wall which is maybe an homage to joe walsh my favorite member of the eagles yes but it, it rips through the wall and cuts through carol and ray in the frame photo and then ray falls into hell and in hell the clopex are roasting him to a crisp on the very same barbecue that he swore up and down he's gonna fix which is a really nice way that joe dante does bring every little detail back in every little ingredient has a purpose so that uh, is there and then we see art weinstein dressed up as skip the demented soda jerk at the uh, local pop shop who allegedly killed a bunch of kids and this story is told by Corey feldman to tom hanks to scare him in mm-hmm. one scene which is really awesome and uh we see we see him come into play and rick dukeman as he does through the movie he's perfect at this he says don't worry ray it's not really skip it's me art like <laughs> even in the even in the nightmare he's funny and you know he's him which is he's even the comic relief there so great yeah, job there that's awesome and we see queenie the dog with a small axe through her head and then we see walter as we pan up with a giant axe in his head mm-hmm. which is one of what became like an iconic image from the burbs as well so this is a fan favorite for a lot of reasons because it's just a real fun little break from the movie and brings all the characters back in even the garbage men who do play a role in the alternate endings of the movie which we'll hit in at the very end of this podcast but it brings it all in and puts it in this little gift with a bow on top and drops it right there for the fans and joe dante does a lot of these dream sequences and they're a real treat because they're always done in such a fun way so good job joe dante we had a lot of fun with this dream sequence and i swear to you i hope that one night you haunt me and and plague me in my nightmares too because I wish I was in this nightmare. It's a great nightmare. Yeah. A lot of good people in there. <laughs> the best. A lot of good cameos in that nightmare. Yeah. But yeah, it was great. It was a good dream sequence. So like I mentioned earlier, diving into Tom Hanks and his character, we talked about how they had to rewrite the ending because you can't kill Tom Hanks. No. You cannot do that. There's only two things that are certain in life, death and taxes, and that you can't kill Tom Hanks, and that Tom Hanks is not afraid of taxes. It's the truth. That's right. So with that being said, there were uh, some alternate endings. Yes. So we're going to dive into that now. That's awesome because they're filming it in chronological order. As we said earlier, if you're listening to this podcast in chronological order. If you're paying attention. So keep in mind, you have a lot of great talents pulling in a lot of different ways. So by the time they get to the ending, Dante might have had a few different things in mind, right? Mm -hmm. So he filmed a few different things to see what stuck. So Artie, walk us through it, baby. One of the uh, the endings is... They open up the trunk of the Colpex car and see the dead garbage men. Yes, and thank you for starting with that one because uh, the garbage men are critical to this storyline. Yes, because at one point, the guys are hiding behind a bunch of trash cans on the other side of the street, spying on one of the Klopex 
at a at a, the early hours of the morning, and they see him drive his car a few meters down the driveway with the headlights turned off, and he takes out trash bags with what looks like human bodies in them and proceeds to beat them with a stick into the trash can as lightning strikes and things get really crazy all around him. And this is where the best line of the movie is born. Tom Hanks says, I've never seen that. A guy drive their trash to the can, then beat the hell out of it with a stick. I've never seen that. Who has seen that? And that, my friends, is the best line in movie history. So that's that scene. And then also uh, the next morning, they do ransack the trash to try to find the bodies the alleged bodies, and they find nothing. Nothing. And the trash is thrown all over the street, and it stays there. And Tom Hanks probably has some kind of infection or disease. He's wearing no shoes. Walking (laughs) through that trash you know yeah and it stays in the street for the rest of the movie which is awesome so great job continuity department good job all right what's alternate ending number two you're pumping me up so they open up the copex's trunk and they find dead cheerleaders what come on yep joe calm down this is supposed to be a family friendly flick come on joe dead cheerleaders joe simmer down now all right well that's self-explanatory you can't have that in your movie Mm, yep (laughs) universal's like uh what else you got yeah what else you got for me so what's the one we landed on what did we what, did we, what was the keeper? The keeper was they open up the Klopex trunk and they find a bunch of skeletons. Yep. That's, that, that works. Yeah, yeah. That's I, the, the tame version. I think the uh, the main focus at the end, though, is is the the struggle between Tom Hanks. And Dr. Klopex. Yeah, and, and the doctor, yeah. So, you know, it just kind of seals the deal that they are what Tom Hanks suspected them to be. Yeah, and Joe Dante doesn't love the ending they went with. He preferred the one where Tom Hanks gets killed. But I'm sorry, Joe. I really love the way this movie turned out. I yeah. hate to disagree with you, but hey, you know what? Bruce Springsteen didn't love Born to Run at first, and Kurt Cobain hated Nevermind when he first heard it. So sorry, Joe, you're wrong. This movie is perfect, and I'm right, and you're wrong, even though you made it. I think it's cool because in the ending that we have here, the bad guys turn out to be, like, innocent, and they turn out to be guilty, Mm -hmm. but then they turn out to be innocent, and the tables turn back and forth and back and forth. We don't know who the villains really are. Are the villains the Klopex? Or are the villains really the regular suburban neighbors who are just maybe being a little too judgmental? Yep. And that's where it gets a little bit deep, huh? It does. Tom Hanks has an awesome outburst here where he says, we are the monsters. We are the monsters, insinuating that their prejudice and their closed-mindedness is really uh, what's to blame. And they are the the ones who are the villains. Or are they not? And that's why this this ending is really fun. It's like a twist and a twist and a twist. And we don't know who who the villains are. And it's a lot of fun. It is. And we have a lot of great lines as we exit the film. There are a lot. Yeah. So Even that one, Tom Hanks with the monster, you know, we're not... We're, we're the monsters line. That that whole part was great. And then just to find yeah. out that he was wrong at that point. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> He was right, but then wrong. Yeah. Well, what's your favorite moment of the movie, would you say? My favorite moment is when they're in the basement, when they actually get into the basement and then are so determined to dig and, like, just expose the truth to then find out they uh, blow a gas line (laughs) to make the whole house explode. It's just kind of fun because they finally get in there to where they want to be and then just to pretty much find nothing. And then uh, the reveal at the end where Dr. Kopex is like, oh, you looked in the furnace because all the evidence was right there next to them. 
the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, I just thought that's kind of kind of fun. It's just kind of neat. It brings you to that point and uh, so close, but yet so far away. Yeah. You know, how about yours? My favorite moment is from none other than Rick Dukeman's character, Art Weinstein, at the very end, as he bids farewell in the movie and has a message to all the other suburbanites that are listening to him. And I want to end the podcast here with that message from Rick Dukeman. I think the message to uh, psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases all over the world is uh, do not mess with suburbanites because, uh, frankly, we're just not going to take it anymore. You know, we're not going to be content to look after our lawns and wax our cars, paint our houses. We're out to get them, Don. We are out to get them. This was fun. Can it we, was. Let's do it again. That's it. Let's do it again. You, you want to? Why not? All right. I, I think so. So what movie should we talk about next? How about Tales from the Dark Side? I love that idea. That's a great idea. Yeah. You're a young man full of great ideas. Thank you. We got Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Arthur Conan Doyle. You love him. George Romero. I've heard of him. And somebody else that I don't remember <laughs> from the trailer that I just watched a few <laughs> minutes ago. But for action-packed stories, we got Christian Slater. Yes. A young Steve Buscemi. Yes. The guy that wrote Hot, 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 Buster Poindexter. (laughs) We got it all. I look forward to talking about it. It'll be cool. So thanks so much for joining us. We're real sweaty. It's dark and hell is hot, to quote DMX. (laughs) (laughs) So please join us next time. Tune in. Same place, same time, same dimension. Adventures. This is the f- I be talking about half rapping. You think it's a game? You think it's a game? Come on!